And we're live. Welcome back, everyone, to a special edition of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined here by Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? Good. We're We're finally in person. (laughs) Yeah, we're in the same room here, and that's because we are actually in Frankfurt, Germany, for Eurobike 2022. We've been walking all over the show all morning and afternoon. My feet are pretty tired. I don't know about yours. My feet are really tired. But we have seen a ton of stuff, and uh, we are here uh, to see the show, thanks to Turn Bicycles, who has sponsored this podcast as well. And we are excited to cover all of the things that we have seen so far today. But we're going to start off with Turn's Quick Haul, because that is the first bike that we got to test out. And it was definitely a highlight of the show so far. So uh, if you guys are not familiar, just a quick sort of rundown about the Quick Haul. This is Turn's most affordable bike yet. Starts at about $3,000. Compare that to some of their other bikes that are like four or five, six thousand or more. And it takes the same kind of design ethos that we're used to seeing from Turn. That means that, you know, it's got the small wheels, but it's still a big cargo bike in terms of capacity. You know, you can still carry 300 plus pounds on this thing, but it's not going to take up a ton of room in your apartment. You can even park it on its tail straight up and down. And it's just going to be like a smaller fixture of your life while still being a you know, full car replacement type of bike, something you can carry your kids, you can do, you know, a week's worth of groceries, that sort of thing. So same idea that we we know and love from Turn, but in a more affordable package, even though it's got, you know, a, a lower tier Shimano derailleur, some parts like that, we still have the uh, Bosch mid-drive, you know, we still have the good Bosch motors, we still have good quality hydraulic disc brakes. And so, you know, $3,000 still gets you a lot of very nice bike. And so we got a chance to take it out just, uh, what, like a couple of hours ago, I guess. Yeah. Very fresh on our minds. So um, why don't you start, Seth, with your impressions, having ridden, I think, two different versions of the bike today. Yeah. So um, first, before we even get on the bike, um, it was kind of interesting to note, like when we were moving it laterally, it felt like a very light bike because, you know, all the weight is low down. The, you know, the Bosch motor and the Bosch batteries are both pretty low set on there. And really, the only thing high up on there is the seat and the and the uh, um, handlebars. So it actually feels like as you move it around, as you adjust it, it it feels like a really light bike, maybe not even an electric bike. Um, so they did a really good job there. It feels very maneuverable. Um, hopping on it, um, I I was kind of taken aback by how smooth it was. You know, you know, Bosch has been improving their motors subtly. For years now, it's kind of getting into that Rosa, like so soft, you don't even know if it's really working until you look at your speedometer. Um, so really impressed. Um, both we had a, a pizza version, uh, yeah. which was pretty cool. <laughs> the pizza delivery, to be right. clear. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, and uh, I think both both versions, there's like a German version. How, what were the differences there? So the German one had a, an internally geared hub, whereas the international version has that um, you know standard Shimano. I think it's a seven speed, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it might be a nine speed. Uh, don't don't hold me on that. But uh, it's got you know the standard derailleur like you'd find on uh, most bikes, and it doesn't have the the same internally geared hub that they have on the German model. But most of the components are going to be the same, um, and so you know, most customers aren't really going to see that much of a difference between the the German model and the international model. We switched back and forth between both of them. And to be honest, besides the fact that one was loaded up with like pizza delivery boxes, they felt 
pretty similar to me. Uh, and in fact, even the one that was, you know, loaded down with the delivery boxes, I was really surprised how nimble it was. Like I, I was following behind Seth a few times and we were weaving between these tents and stuff and he would go through. And then I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it through that gap with all these delivery boxes. And then somehow I just like wiggled through there on this, you know, loaded down cargo bike. So it was really surprising to see just how, how nimble that thing was even fully loaded. Yeah. And we're kind of used to the turn like GSD type bikes, which are like super heavy duty, like kind of over overbuilt, I would say where, you know, they can, you, you can put like a, you know, 400 pound load on the back, even though it's rated for 200 pounds. And it's not a problem because like every bar on the whole bike is like way stronger than it needs to be. This didn't feel like that. This really light, even though I think they said it was 110 pound uh, weight you can put on the back. Yeah. Yeah. 110 pounds on the rear rack you can load. So that's uh 50, 50 kilos ish. Yeah. Um, so that's still fantastic. Um, that's a lot of pizza. It's a lot of pizza. <laughs> uh, so uh, you're in pretty good shape. I can't remember the uh, range on that, um, but so, you know they said something that was kind of interesting. Um, they said that when they look at how people use the, the bikes, that people are usually in turbo mode. Um, and, and it wasn't like, you know, kind of ambiguous. It was like ni- over 90% of people use turbo mode or over 90% of rides were in turbo mode. So that kind of you know, tells me that, you know, people are really flying on this thing. Yeah. And that, that really surprised me because, you know, using the highest pedal assist level, that's, that's not something I do that often. I mean, I, you know, if I really want to have some fun, I'll pop it into the highest mode, especially on a class three bike where that usually unlocks the 28 mile per hours. But most of the time, you know, I feel like I'm burning too much battery if I'm in the highest pedal assist mode. So I was surprised to hear that so many people do it, but I guess perhaps, uh, you know, it's just, it's easier, it's quicker. You don't get to work sweating, especially on something like a turn bike where you're probably carrying kids or, or a big load. It, it makes sense to, you know, have that extra power and, and ride around in turbo. Yeah. And this is a class one bike. So it it's, uh, cuts out at 20 miles per hour, but wasn't there some, wasn't there an option or something that was a class three? I think the quick haul actually comes in a class three option. Uh, definitely, you know, in the U S where uh, it's quite easy to, to get a class three bike. I know in your Europe, you know, they're considered speed pedal X and they're more regulations. But, you know, in the U.S., we we definitely love our class three bikes. And I believe the quick haul does come with the um, higher speed Bosch motor to allow that 20, 28 mile per hour functionality. Yeah, And I think one other thing that I thought was interesting is um, instead of having a folding handlebar, they have like a slide up and down handlebar, um, which I guess like it's probably not going to be as good for getting in and out of cars. Like if you're putting this in the back of your car it doesn't quite hold down as much, but um, it's probably easier to, to unravel or whatever. Yeah. The, the adjustment was super easy. I wonder if that's one of those things that, you know, they were able to bring the price down just a little bit by having a different type of handlebar and not going with that folding mechanism. But uh, you know, it, it certainly was easy to use. Yeah. All right. Uh, so should we move on from turn here? Yeah. I mean, there was so much to see at the show. Um, you know, this is only our first day here and, and we've already saw a ton of things. Uh, I think one of the things that was so striking to me was in addition to turns cargo bikes, just how many different types of cargo bikes there were. They were everywhere. I mean, there were there were bikes that looked like trucks. There were bikes that were like enclosed velomobiles with, with space behind you to put, you know, grocery bags. There were... Um, cargo bikes that could carry multiple people. I mean, there was like everything you can imagine was turned into an electric cargo bike. It was crazy. 
yeah, it's weird how everything kind of get, turns into a truck if you don't if you're if you're not careful. Um, you know, we we took a ride, uh, Mike and I, in a, a recent Mueller, uh, which didn't have a lot of air pressure in the rear tire. We noticed uh, a little too late, but um, the, it was just recent Mueller, Urban Arrow. Trying to think of some of the names. Um, what else did we see? There was the um, a popular German one. It's like XYC, XCYC that has like very truck like. Yeah. Uh, cargo bikes. I mean, these are really meant for commercial purposes, you know, almost like someone's going to carry a, a load of cement bags or something. That's the kind of stuff that they're building those for. Yeah. So that you, the cargo bikes are obviously like being used in the, in the world where, you know, we talk about UPS and DHL using those um, deliveries. I think in Europe, even more so in the U.S., where I think U.S. is a little bit more spread out. Um, a lot of European cities were built before cars. So um, these kind of things become really nice uh, tools for uh, delivering stuff. And you know, we, we've seen like coffee carts, uh, bikes and ice cream truck bikes and those kind of things. Those are super cool. Yeah, I think it kind of it's nice because it brings a lot of these European cities back to the way they were designed. Like you said, they weren't designed for cars. They were designed for carts, essentially. And so these electric cargo bikes are sort of bringing that cart-like uh, vehicle back to the streets where you've got, um, you know, your coffee carts or even, you know, your your um, garbage trucks that are essentially large electric cargo bikes. And that's really the, the size of vehicle that these cities and these streets were designed for. There was some other stuff we saw that was pretty cool, I, you know, off the top of our head, suction cup car mounts. Oh, yes. So um, there were these awesome mounts for bikes that uh, you put the bike on the roof of your car, but instead of putting it like wheels down, like you normally see the bike was upside down. So the saddle and handlebars were mounted to suction cups that just went like straight onto the roof of the car. And these are like heavy duty. Yeah. Like these are the, like, if you picture like a burglar climbing up a skyscraper right. kind of thing, like these are those kind of suction cups. And we even asked like, what's the weight limit? You know, can you put an e-bike on these? And the guy was like, well, it's not a matter of the suction cups. You can pick up a few hundred pounds with those. It's a matter of what your roof can support just sitting right on the the metal. So I think that's, you know, where the the issue might be is can you load a, you know, an e-bike directly on the roof of your car as opposed to onto like roof rack rails that are designed to be loaded. Yeah, it's interesting how some cars are going to be able to handle more than others with those things. Um we also saw a hydrogen e-bike yeah, so this was a really cool, um, it's something I've never seen before. There's this Korean company that has developed a, basically a very compact hydrogen-based electric bike system. So um, they originally had it working with um, like a, a hydrogen setup that charged a battery and it ran off a battery. And now they've moved to supercapacitors because they can just avoid all the issues with lithium-ion batteries, regulation, shipping, all the hazmat stuff. And so... Uh, they say that the technology is there, that it's not commercialized yet, but that they're looking for customers and that sort of thing. But they demonstrated it in this uh, four-wheeled electric bike. I mean, I guess a quadricycle at that point. But yeah. it was just this like wild-looking full suspension uh, concept. But I think it's it's generally designed more for, for two-wheelers and, and for smaller bikes, but they definitely put it in that eye-catching type of bike there. Um, not sure how I feel about future of hydrogen is like a an alternative to battery electric vehicles but it is neat to see it integrated into bikes like that for sure 
Yeah, and they had like a little setup with something that looked like kind of like a two liter bottle size hydrogen tank. Um, and he was giving us some specs, like it's three cents to go like 150 kilometers or something like that. Yeah. And uh, the so, the recharge time also is a cra- attractive. So he like said it's a, I think it was like one minute. One minute. To yeah. like, I mean, the recharge is essentially filling the hydrogen bottle. So, you know, it doesn't take that long to recharge. Yeah. And these are so small. Like you could, I mean, it's almost like a um, soda stream, you know, <laughs> like you just unscrew it and screw it. And uh, so that was kind of neat. Um, we also saw uh, some, well, we, we've seen these before, but we saw them uh, in their new configuration, uh, Blue Brake and Shimano analog brakes. Yeah, so um, this was a cool one because we actually got to test it this time too. Like I, I've seen the setup before from Blue Brake, but I've never actually felt it. And so to test out anti-lock brakes on a bicycle is kind of a, a weird feeling because I'm just so used to like my brain being the anti-lock brake. Right. But, you know, when I feel my my wheels locking up, it's like, all right, well, I got to let off the brakes. But this time, I mean, we just like laid into that front brake in the kind of situation that would normally send you over the handlebars. And all of a sudden you just feel the brake lever kind of pulse a little bit and your your wheel doesn't lock up. And it's it's like magic. Yeah. And you stop really quickly. Um, I tried just grabbing as hard as I could and it just like slowed me down as as fast as like the tires would allow so i guess that's the point of it yeah i mean it's wild because you know i I ride electric motorcycles a lot and and obviously there you know we have electric um anti-lock brakes and it just you know you get used to it it's like something you take for granted and i don't even think about the concept on bicycles because it's like bicycles or you know the the kid that gets left out kind of thing and uh finally it's some of this really neat technology is trickling down to electric bicycles and it's it's you know wild to experience it on a on a vehicle that you never thought that you'd see this this kind of tech on so it's um not only is it cool to experience it but it's great for safety because it it, you know really means that all of these accidents you hear about where someone was like panic braking and you know they brake too hard and they went over the the handlebars all of that can be avoided with anti-lock brakes and you know i mean i've had a few accidents where um you know, I've locked up the front wheel and I haven't gone over, but I've caused the wheel to skid, especially if it's a little bit wet out. And so, um, you know, to avoid locking up the wheel and having that situation means just so many fewer bike accidents. And, and that's, you know, a, a huge thing for the millions of bike riders out there. We have the authentic uh, European siren, so that, that shows that we're actually in Europe. Yeah, it's not a sound effect that we're just overlaying. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, so... Uh, that's fantastic. I I can't remember it was on both the front and the back or just the front brakes that were in on. So um, the two bikes we tried, they just had the front. I assume you could do front and rear, but you know when your rear locks up, it's not as dangerous as when your front locks up. Right, and I think most of the braking is actually on the front, isn't it? Yeah, so. definitely. So for two wheel, I mean every vehicle, um, you know, more braking is in the front because that's where the weight goes. But on a two wheel vehicle, especially one where the rider is so much higher than the center of mass of the vehicle it's even more pronounced so you know having the the front be anti-lock braking makes a a huge difference yeah uh so one thing that we talked about last week uh, or whenever it was a couple days ago uh the ica scooter with USB-C charging Uh, we finally got to i think you've ridden one before but it was my first time riding one and we also got to ride the uh the sharing uh version of that yeah. So um, in addition to their sort of consumer ICA T model, they're also coming out with this new thing. It's called the ICA 11 for sharing. So um, 
you know, sharing companies like uh, Tool and Estonia is one of them that I've used, but other sharing companies that use the Ico scooters are going to um, be able to use that technology. But it was uh, it was great for me to see the scooter again. And, and Seth, uh, I know it was your first time seeing the Ico T in person, but uh, you know we got to uh, meet the team that designed it and check out that that cool battery with the USB C charging, which is both. Um, you, know, you can charge it and you can uh, discharge. So it's bi-directional. So you can plug in your um, phone or your iPad or potentially even your laptop into it and get some charge out of the battery if you want to use it like a, a portable power station, which is a really neat concept when you consider that you've got this massive battery that, you know, the only thing that you could do is power a scooter. Why not use it for other things as well? Yeah. Just makes sense to me. Yeah. Backup power. Um, he said something. It's Currently only five volts, so it's not going to be able to power perhaps a laptop yet. Although I feel like my MacBook Air uh, M1 edition uh, can be powered by that something that low. Um, but he said he's working on a DC to DC controller that will up it to 20 volts, which is um, high, high maybe PD, uh, USB-C. So that'll be great. Um, so one thing we did not see a lot of uh, at Euro bike this year was non-electric bikes or pedal bikes, or we like to call them acoustic bikes. <laughs> um, is it is it game over for those bikes? Is what's what's the story? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, um, you know, pedal bikes still outsell electric bikes in most markets. I mean, part of that is that they're much more affordable, and people are still coming around to electric bikes. But when it comes to innovation. I mean, I I haven't seen anything innovative in the pedal bike industry in years. All the innovation, it feels like, is coming in electric bikes. And so here at Eurobike, which is, you know, one of the largest bicycle trade shows in the world and certainly the largest in Europe, the the whole showcase is about innovation. And I think that's really why we're seeing so many electric bicycles, because we're seeing new models with new features and new technology. I mean, ABS for bikes, USB-C charging, like what what new is happening? happened in pedal bikes in the last decade. I can think of like one thing, which was like three or four years ago at Eurobike, there was that um, drive shaft with a ceramic um, gear shifter. So you could have like 11 speeds with a drive shaft on a pedal bike. But like, that's one thing I can remember in four years, that was like a huge pedal bike industry innovation. And so I think that's part of it. Speaking of uh, drive shaft, we didn't talk about uh, Han bike. Very true. So um, we did visit the Han bike booth uh, we did talk to the team there. Um, they're very enthusiastic. Um, we didn't get to try the bikes yet on, on the track, um, especially that, that one with the kind of the di- diagonal angle bar. U- that, U4. U4, yeah. So um, I guess that's that's more to come on that. Yeah, absolutely. So tomorrow, hopefully, we're going to get on the U4. But um, that one also is just a very neat design. Their first bike, Han bike, had a drive shaft. And this one, they've uh, switched to a belt drive. And uh, just a totally different frame design. You know, it's not folding anymore. It's very minimalist. So we're excited to give that one a try tomorrow as well. Yeah, and we learned some stuff about uh, the efficiency of a drive shaft or that particular drive shaft versus a belt drive or a chain drive. Belt drive and chain drive are typically uh, up to 98% efficient, whereas uh, uh, their drive shaft technology is around 95% efficient, but it stays at 95 even if, you know, after a long time. So that was, for me, that was interesting because it's, you know, it is less efficient, but it's not that much less efficient and it's more consistent. So uh, maybe we'll see some more drive shaft bikes, although it's not a great sign that their new bike is in a drive shaft. Like, 
Well, so. I think it's a lot simpler and cheaper to go without a drive shaft. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. Um, we did also uh, visit Bafang, uh, Rosa, Bosch. Um, they they also have uh, analog brake systems, but you know also they're more known for their um, drivetrains. Um, one thing in particular that we were kind of interested in was the, the Bafang three-speed. Uh, that booth, though, was like overran with people. Yeah, there were a lot of people excited to see uh, Bafang's booth. We did get to see the new three-speed uh, hub. It's a, basically an internally geared hub that many companies make a product like that. But uh, Bafang's is hopefully designed to be you know, specifically meant for electric bikes, be, being able to take the the torque and the cycles that you wouldn't normally find on a on a pedal bike. So it was cool to see that piece of kit. Um, I would have loved to see their two-speed hub motor because their their three-speed hub doesn't actually have a motor in it. Um, so it would have been cool to have seen that two-speed automatic shifting hub. But perhaps, you know, one day they'll turn their three-speed internally geared hub into a three-speed internally geared hub motor. And that would be a pretty cool product too. Yeah, especially for those uh, belt drives out there. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking about the Luna uh, Eclipse, which we reviewed uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe even a month ago by now. Um, so that'll be good. Uh, what? So I'm trying to think of anything else that we, you know, fell off the list. What, what else do we know about Eurobike? I mean, we're going to be here for at least another day or, so, or more. Yeah, I mean, it's just there are so many brands here. I mean, hundreds, maybe even like a thousand different brands. It's funny because the first hour when we were walking around. We almost didn't see any brands we recognized. There are so many new things and obscure things. And especially if you walk down the the aisles that are sort of um, geographic based. So, you know, there's like the Korea corner and the Taiwanese aisle. And there's all these areas where you wouldn't normally interact with these companies. But suddenly, you know, they're, they're all thrown there together. And you see all these interesting things that have been developed in different parts of the world. So it's it's fascinating to see just so many different types of companies and, and ideas from, from all over the world. And, you know, we're going to continue this coverage over the next couple of days. Uh, this is only the first day we've been here and we're going to bring you guys even more because we've only scratched the surface of, of what Eurobike has to offer so far. All right. We have a few questions, um, some off topic, but some on topic. Uh, Jurgen or Jurgen uh, Berthelsen says, it's all nice what you were telling us. Besides that, how was the experience there? Uh, I would say, so uh, Eurobike moved from uh, Frederikstraffen, which is a small town uh, near uh, Lake Constance. And um, now it's in a big town, Frankfurt, which, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's top on anyone's must-see cities in Germany, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, beautiful and, and iconic stuff. It's, it's a hub. It's a uh, banking center. So... That part isn't as exciting, but this uh, location is much bigger. There's a lot of hotels around, uh, so it's easier to stay. Now, what do you think? The the testing track that they have here is much bigger too. It was it was pretty small in Friedrichshafen. I think just limited by the size of the space. But here, um, you know, it took several minutes to go around the track, whereas before it was like a one minute loop, probably. Yeah, and I, I don't think we've ever seen as many bike companies. <clears throat> allowing people and and not just bike scooters and all kinds of weird vehicles. And that was the thing. Like we just sit there and watch like all these crazy vehicles come and go by. We should make a video of that. Um, and, 
you know, that's for me, that's fantastic. I love seeing that kind of stuff. So that, that's pretty good. Also, the press center was nice. The press center was much nicer, but yeah. no pretzels. No time. pretzels yet. Not yet. We're, we're holding out hope. Uh, it's more like anti-slide brakes designed for rain or icy roads instead of anti-lock brakes. I guess we're talking about the uh, anti-lock brakes we saw. Um, it might be more tire-related, too. Okay, yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the Velo e-bike? You familiar with that one? Like a Velomobile or a specific company? Uh, not sure where we're going with that. We did see several Velomobiles, which are like entire enclosed e-bikes. Those are often Velo bikes, but I'm not sure if there's a specific Velo company that, that you're referring to. Yeah, and I'm actually in love with that whole genre of bikes because um, you know, one of the things about bikes is when you go 20 miles per hour or less, you get some wind resistance, but after you go over 20 miles per hour, everything, you know, all your power is going to basically, you know, the wind, um, offsetting the wind. So making something super uh, energy efficient um, allows you to go way faster. So even without motors, uh, people just pedaling are able to go 30, 40 miles per hour. So with motors, even small motors, like, you know, the 250 watt uh, motors that they have here, um, you can get bikes to go 30, 40 miles per hour. So that for us is or not speaking for you, but that for me is very, uh, you know, a very exciting field. So we're always looking forward to that. All materials to build an e-bike where come from originally, uh, mostly uh, all over really the materials, but, um, I think a lot of the stuff originates in China. Um, is there a better system than wheel magnets as mine keep getting stolen or moved? Like for a speedometer, you mean? Um, those wheel magnets on oh, yeah. speedometers. Um, There's not a, lot, not a lot of context in these uh, texts here. Oh, yeah. Velo folding from Austria. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah. So I'll have to look for that. All right. That's all the questions. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this uh, special edition of the Wheelie podcast. We'll be back on our normal schedule, which is every two weeks. So we'll check you guys out next time.